using our gifts. One morning, a minister opened a letter from one of his key elders, and it read as follows. Dear Pastor, as you know, our church is very busy, with 566 members. However, 100 are too old, which leaves 466. Of these, 80 are Sunday school and youth age and are too young. This leaves 386. Of these, 150 are tired business people, and that leaves... 236. Another 150 are busy with young families, which leaves 86. 15 live too far, which leaves 71. And 69 have done it all. And that leaves two. And I'm exhausted. And this is my letter of resignation, which leaves one. Good luck. <laughs> kind regards, Elder John. After watching last night's test, I recall that someone once said that a rugby match is 30 people in desperate need of arrest while being watched by 30,000 in desperate need of exercise. <laughs> and sometimes church feels like this, doesn't it? Especially for overworked uh, volunteers and staff. But this is not God's will for the local church. Not at all. So this morning as we dig into God's word, we're going to find out what God's plan is. And how we can use our gifts to build up and to equip, not to exhaust and run down. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a privilege to gather together, especially when so many around the world are COVID affected and can't gather as your church, your local church in worship. So we don't take for granted sitting next to brothers and sisters of Christ. Help us though, Lord, to learn what it means to be church as we open up your word in Ephesians this morning. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. So as we travel through Ephesians, we come to chapter 4, and we are just part way through. And we start with verse 4 of chapter 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now here, Paul is finishing his introductory words about unity. And we looked at this last time I preached in Ephesians. For a church to be flourishing, it needs to be marked by people who work hard, who prioritise unity. And they do this in verse 2 with all humility, gentleness and patience. For we are one body. Later on in verse 16, it's very clear, Paul makes it, It makes a point by saying we are the body of Christ and Jesus is our head. This whole idea of being coordinating and functioning body is what Paul then takes into his next train of thought, leaving the idea of unity and moving on to the idea of gifts. Verse 7. But grace has been given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. We all have Christ's gift. But what is this gift? What is the Bible referring to here that we have Christ's gift? Well, if we flip back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, we see this. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So the gift that Paul is referring to in verse 7 is the gift of being saved, of salvation. It's a very precious gift. It's a gift that we all have as Christ followers. 
And this is a big deal. And for those of us that have been Christians for a while or attending church, we can sort of let this go over our head a little bit. And so just a pause, a reminder of how precious the salvation is and how desperately we need it. John 3.16 tells us that the fault of everyone is to perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There's wonderful good news in John 3.16, but the undercurrent is that without Christ we all perish. One day we will all stand before the judgment seat of a holy God and give account of ourselves. And by ourselves we stand condemned and will perish. But as we look to Christ, as we commit our lives to him, then he takes our judgment upon himself. And so we will not stand, Christ followers will not stand before the judgment seat alone, but Christ will be with us and say to his heavenly father, I paid the price. I died for Douglas that he might be forgiven and be free of judgment. And that's the promise to all those who believe, and that's what it is to be saved. So a reminder not to take it for granted, to motivate us to share Christ with other folk and to live a life worthy of the calling that we have. And this is the gift that we hear about or has been spoken about in <laughs> Ephesians 4, 7, Christ's gift. And what's the basis of this gift? How do we get this gift? Well, verse 8 to 10. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Now, that's a quote from Psalm 68. But then he goes on and opens some brackets and says this. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. That's Ephesians chapter 4, not chapter 2, but Ephesians 4, 8 to 10. So the main point of these three verses is that because Christ came up to heaven, because he ascended, we have the gift of salvation. And that's the point of these three verses. Christ ascended, we have salvation. And there's a lot going on here, so it's worth unpacking. Three things. First of all, Paul is quoting Psalm 68. Now, Psalm 68 is what's called as a coronation psalm. So, when a king of Israel was crowned, this psalm would be sung, and there's a few others as well. And it picks up the image of, say say it's Solomon, the second king of united Israel, and at his crowning, at his coronation, he would walk through the streets, and people would be singing, and and gifts would be given on his behalf, and then he would ascend to the throne and be crowned. And this is the images that's being picked up on. And this is the same for Christ. He ascended to heaven. He was raised from the dead and ascended to sit at the right hand of the throne of God where he was crowned, King of Kings, ruler of the universe. And as he ascended, he gave gifts to us. That's what Paul's referring to here, the gifts that Christ gave as at his coronation and the gifts he continues to give. So that's the first thing to note. And then Paul opens, as he does, he opens up these brackets, this, this, this qualification, and an aside. And what's happened here, he wants to make it very clear that Jesus is divine. Because if he just quoted Psalm uh, 68 that said Jesus ascended, some people will say, well, he was just a very good man, a bit like a cross between Billy Graham and Gandhi. You know, he just got it right, he ascended, 
he was a good man. But Paul's just saying, oh, hang on a bit. Jesus is also divine. He's the son of God. He descended first at Christmas, showed us the way to the Father, died, resurrected, and ascended. So the whole point of the brackets is to remind us that Jesus is fully God as well as fully man. And the third thing to note about this passage is that Psalm 68 talks about gifts, plural. Gifts, plural. Notice in verse 7 it was gift singular of salvation, but then here we have Christ giving us gifts, plural. So what does that mean? Well, it means that salvation is the universal gift that we all have, but Jesus also distributes gifts to us, different gifts. So what do these gifts look like? Well, verse 11 gives some, not all, but some of the gifts. Verse 11, Ephesians 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. These are some of the gifts that Jesus gives as he ascended and was crowned king of kings. And he still gives them today. This is not an exhaustive list. There are others as well. And writing to the church in Rome, Paul gives another list. Writing to the church in Corinth, he gives another list. And there's some crossover. So in each specific church situation, Paul decides which gifts to emphasize. So just to get a bit of a broader picture, there are the four gifts that are mentioned here in Ephesians 4. Apostleship, evangelists, shepherding, and teaching. Uh, In Romans chapter 12, there are other gifts that Jesus gives to the church. Prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leadership, acts of kindness, or mercy. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul again has a list. This is at the end of the chapter and talks about apostleship, prophecy, teaching, miracles, helping, administration, and tongues. So in each specific church context, Paul wanted to make a point about which gifts to emphasize. There are others as well. And so I show these three lists to bring out three points. The first thing is there is more than one gift that God gives. There is a variety of gifts. The second point is not everybody has every gift. Everybody has at least one. Some do have a few more, but nobody has them all. And thirdly, giving you that list to encourage you to think where are my gifts? What gifts has Christ given me from that list and the others that are there? Now, it would be very profitable for us to spend a few weeks unpacking each of these gifts and working that out, but we haven't got the time. Uh, But they are very important things for us to come to terms with. We all have the gift of salvation. As Christ ascended to the throne, he gives gifts to his church. Where do I fit in with those gifts? Now, what is the purpose of these gifts? Well, verse 12 makes it so clear. Ephesians 4, verse 12. The gifts are to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So Christ gives the gifts to equip and to build up. Now, a reminder in the Bible that when uh, it uses the word saints... What it means is a normal believer and follower of Christ. 
over the decades, over the centuries, the church has, has moved the word saint to move to being those heroes of the faith. It's not what the Bible means. You were sitting next to a saint. <clears throat> Some people have just had a wee choke or a giggle there. <laughs> if the person next to you is a Christ follower, and, and maybe not everyone is, but on the main, if the person next to you is a, is a Christ follower, they are a saint. Even the preacher. <coughs> My halo is long slipped. <laughs> but because I follow Christ, that makes me a saint in the biblical terms. So just a qualification there. When you're reading the Bible and see saint, just mean the person, think, oh, the person I was sitting to church next to on Sunday and myself if I follow <coughs> Jesus. So here in verse 12, we have a very clear understanding to the passage. Christ ascended to heaven and gave gifts to the church. Why? To equip and to build up his body. By the Holy Spirit, Jesus has given some the gift of serving, and others in leading and teaching, some in encouraging, some in helps, some in giving finances to equip and to build up. So for a church to flourish, it is vital that each of its members, each of us, identify and then use the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us. To put it in the negative, for a church to languish, to struggle, for a church to miss the mark, it just needs her members not to use their gifts or for the majority to leave it to the minority. And that's a very good way for a church to languish, to fail, to struggle. So let's explore this a bit more. I'll ask a question and we'll see where it takes us. Now, in the Bible, there's lots of different models for the church. The most common is the body. The church is the body of Christ. Uh, it's a temple. And there are other metaphors as well. But let's imagine that the church is a theatre production. Imagine that. Now, some of us, most of us have been to a theatre production. It might be the local college production, fine time theatre. Some of us may have even gone to West End in London and seen, you know, a full-on production. But no matter how extravagant the theatre production is, there are some simple elements that they have. Three things we'll focus on. They have a space for the audience. If you're lucky, that means chairs. <laughs> there is a stage. And then in the wings, there's the prompter, who whispers rather loudly the lines forgotten. If you've ever done a local production, then you thank God often for the prompter. That has saved you for some public, public embarrassment. So there's your model for a theatre production. Now, for the church, where would you put the congregation? Where would you put the minister? And where would you put God? The congregation, the minister, and God. This is a test. <laughs> there will be punishments for those that fail. <laughs> no morning tea, uh, vacuum the carpet, that sort of thing. Well, most people would put the congregation as the audience, the minister on stage, and God whispering in the minister's ear. Makes sense, doesn't it? It seems intuitive. Unfortunately, there's a very unhealthy way to look at the church. The biblical way is to do this. The congregation is on stage. The minister is prompting. And where does that leave God? God's the audience. 
That is the biblical model for the church if we think about a theatre production. Now that changes everything, doesn't it? Imagine a fine time theatre, you rock in there and you're in the audience. How do you feel? But then you're in the fine time theatre and you rock up and you're on stage. How do you feel? It's a wee bit different, isn't it? An unhealthy church feels that they are the audience, the minister and the staff and the key volunteers are on stage and God is doing a great job prompting them. But that is a very unhealthy way to do church. A healthy church is when the congregation realises that each one of us has been given a gift, gift from Jesus, not only of salvation but other gifts, and are using them to equip and build up. And the minister and the staff, we're involved in that, but we do a bit of prompting. And our audience is God. When we get that in our heads, then that's when we start to do church right. We can build the the analogy a little bit. We can imagine God is in the royal box and the community and our family and friends are the audience. It's another way of looking at it. God is our primary audience of one. He's the only one that we really want to please when we're on the stage. But don't forget our families and friends are watching too. And I'm not just talking about Sunday mornings. I'm talking about whenever we do church together. Small groups, events like the Light Party. This is the biblical model that we look at. Let's be giving you an example. You see, there are countless ways we can use our gifts. Think of yesterday's Light Party. Bouncy castles and bumper soccer and other activities were sourced and volunteers organised. That is the gift of administration. People contributed baking and sweets. Others packed the goodie bags. That is the gift of helping. Others donated finances to help. That is the gift of giving. Others volunteered on the night to help set up, run activities, pack down. That is the, the gift of serving. There was a resource tent with Gospels of Luke and the Why Jesus booklet and opportunities to share share Jesus. That is the gift of evangelism. You see how the gifts are all coming together to glorify God. Think of the light party on the stage. Mandy and her team being the prompters. And even though we were doing it for the community, God was the primary audience last night. On top of all this, other churches were invited and participated, so though the primary aim of the Light Party was to provide a fun, free, alternative Halloween to young families in the community, what we were really doing was becoming better equipped and building up the body of Christ. Not just the body of this church, but the body of Christ in the whole of Cromwell. And I get a feeling that our Heavenly Father was very pleased. And so, this is how we can use our gifts to build up and equip. Now, contrast this with a story I heard earlier in the week, and it's a story that bothers, bothered me when I first heard it, and it just hasn't sat well. It's, a, it's quite a sad story. Uh, Judy was chatting to a friend in Auckland who uh, told of what happened at their church on a recent Sunday service. Uh, an elder who was in charge of rostering in the middle of the service uh, came up and started to scold the congregation for not signing up to the roster. He said he's sick and tired of ringing people up to go on the roster and they weren't available. So after scolding them, he tore the roster up, threw it on the ground and stormed out. 
Now, I know something of the church, something of the troubles they're going through, and maybe some of us have been in church where that's a bit of a problem. If you've ever had to do rostering, you, know, you, you probably feel for that elder. Um, but it was sad, I felt. I, I, I just felt really sad, and it continued, it just bothered me. And, you know, I contrast that with the wonderful blessing of being a minister at this church and last night and other activities and that. And so I've had this contrast in my mind of the light party versus this difficult situation a church in Auckland is going through. Jesus distributed gifts to every local church. There is no church that he has pulled together that doesn't have the gifts that are needed. They're there. Why are they there? They're there to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body, until we attain to the unity of faith. That's verse 13. See how Paul starts chapter 4 with unity and then goes to people exercising the gifts and he's come back to unity. Because when we exercise our gifts, like at the light party last night, I like, like pulling together a service this morning with the, the, the sound guys at the back and the musos and people doing the prayers and we're all pulling it together. That brings a sense of unity. That's where God wants us to go. So let's pull this together as we finish and as we come to communion. Uh, Paul starts chapter 4 with a call to unity and then moves to remind us that we've all been given gifts. And these gifts are not for self-indulgence, not for self-gratification or self-glorification, but to equip and to build each other up. And when we get it right, the local church flourishes. Members are energised and most importantly, our Heavenly Father, the audience of one, is pleased. He's thrilled. He's stoked when we get it right. And you may say to yourself, well, where do I fit in? And some of you know exactly where you fit in. Some of you are not so sure. Some of you say, well, I used to know where I fit in, but my age, my health, having a wee baby in the family, whatever, well, I'm not quite sure where I fit in because my circumstances have changed. And so my encouragement is you to pray and to think about where you can be actively involved in serving in your local church. Prayer. You know, even if you're an older person and you used to do this stuff and you just haven't got the energy, or you're a super busy mum because you've got three under five in the household, you know, you can pray. And you can pray for the ministry in the local church. Just turning up is a huge encouragement. You know, just attending things that you can encourages the organisers, builds us up. There are ways. Some of us have been naughty. <laughs> Some of us are just... Too busy with their own lives and we thank you very much, God, you just are on the outside, on the edge. And some of us need a bit of a challenge, a bit of a kick up the backside to realise that Christ is our focus and he is the audience of one we should be pleasing. We'll pick some of these ideas up next week. But my challenge to you is to be encouraged. We all have the gift of salvation, praise God. And God has distributed gifts amongst us so that we can use them to equip and build up. It's my prayer, and I'm excited about this. It's my prayer that we will lean into those gifts and grow, and grow close to our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that you give gifts and you are generous and open-handed. Help us, Lord, to, to realise what gifts you have given us to help build up and equip, equip other believers to equip the local church and build it up. Help us to serve you faithfully and realise that you are the audience of one and we are on the stage 
and it's you that we have eyes for to please and only you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.